We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. No, I haven't get a chance to get on my phone, but but I did I did I, love, I did see that a lot of people is is tagging me in, in on Twitter and everywhere, so I can't wait to to get on it. <laughs> That's the voice of the magic man, Javier Baez, doing what he does. Bruce Levine was just joking about it a moment ago, Javi being Javi. More often than not, that's a good thing. It has been a very good thing throughout his time with the Chicago Cubs. And uh, this season, as we've gotten, you know, month of April, certainly had some nice moments a month of May. It really feels like Javi's game has been picking up here in recent weeks. And on a day like today where – you know, and especially with so many one-run games that the Cubs have had here, the difference that he makes in, in certain moments and that just insane play on the base paths that turns what, what should have been very easily for the Pirates, the third out, turns it into not just that one run, but then you follow that up with another base hit and Javi's in scoring position because he got all the way to second base from you know, the, the Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events that the Pirates have going on there. So Javi's on second, you get a blooper, and Javi's scoring a run. So what should have been an out with no runs on the board turns in to a two-run inning. And, you know, I know a lot of y'all got jobs. You're out there working during the day, Cubs playing a day game. Maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you didn't hear it. So you're going to see it and hear it a whole lot. In the, in the days and the weeks, and, and who knows, man, wherever Javi's career goes from there, you will likely see this for a long time. It was one of, the, one of the most insane moments you will ever watch on a baseball diamond. And, you know, frankly, it was really fun. I was, I was listening to the game. I wasn't even watching it on marquee. I was listening to it here on the score. And the, the call by Pat Hughes was, was pure Pat Hughes enthusiasm. So let, let's take a listen to how it sounded here as it took place. Baez bounces one to third, picked by Gonzalez. The long toss, it pulls the man off the bag, and Baez trying to stay in a rundown long enough, and now sliding in the plate is safe. I don't believe this. The Cubs just got a run on an amazing play by Javier Baez. Baez is going to go to second base now as the throw gets away. He slides at second. He's safe. The ball bounces away again. The Cubs have scored an unbelievable run on a play by Baez. And what's really underrated about that entire series of events, again, most of them unfortunate for Pittsburgh, but the, the kismet between Javier Baez and Wilson Contreras. I mean, Contreras is on second base, man. Like, okay, so Javi hits it to third, 
and works his way towards first base. So Wilson is just kind of striding it out initially. But then as he sees Javi extending the play, then he just keeps on around in third and works his way towards home. And as Javi is just sort of dragging things out, like Mahomes style, just extending the play over and over again. Next thing you know, Contreras is sliding across home plate. They fire the ball uh, over there to the catcher. The first baseman does. He doesn't get to Contreras in time. Javi makes his way back to first base. They throw it into the outfield. He rounds, well, didn't necessarily round first, slides in the first, then gets up and runs to second. I mean, he's he's just got such a remarkable knack, does Javier Baez, for just routinely having these moments amongst the best baseball players in the world, but he just does things that, that seem remarkable. And it's it's unorthodox and it's uncoachable and frequently enough it's unfathomable. But Javi just keeps having those types of moments. And, you know, I mean, it was just a couple weeks ago when and, you know, maybe certainly at least a couple weeks ago, maybe even kind of late April when a lot of folks were, were talking about like, well, let's just get him out of the lineup or let's get him out of town. And there's still those folks there. And, hey, you know, you're. Your flavor is your flavor for what you're what you're looking for out of a out of a, a shortstop. But even as he's striking out at the plate, you are still getting a guy who will run the base paths like no other. I mean, just such a talented, not only base stealer, but just a, a pure runner of the bases. And you know, today isn't even necessarily the best example of that. Today was just him sort of taking advantage of initially goofing around was my impression of it. But then once he saw that there was going to be an opportunity there that was exploited because he just did something really unique in the moment and just sort of caught the defenders off guard, then he took advantage of it in that moment. But there's so many other opportunities where you just see how hard he plays and the way he runs the bases and the swim move at the last second to make sure that you know he's not going to get tagged and it looked like it should maybe be an easy tag. And we see that happen so frequently with him. So, yeah, well, I prefer that he struck out less, sure. But you're getting gold glove caliber defense. You are getting beyond a plus base runner, beyond plus power in the batter's box. There are just so many things that are just truly special about Javi Baez that a slow start to the season – I certainly, as I've been saying several times here in recent weeks, w- was not out on the uh, uh, on the hobby train. I'm still a passenger. Uh, I, I may not be leading it, but I'm certainly stoking the fire <laughs> when it comes to the hobby train. And there was another one, and our guy Zach Zabin was on the call for a moment in the fifth inning that was just, you know, where he had already had that highlight reel moment, that web gem, you know, for, for folks who used to remember watching the web gems on ESPN all the time. There was a web gem caliber play that just becomes what we expect from Javi Baez at shortstop. They'll be talking about that Javier Baez fielder's choice for a while as Perez lines one backhanded stop by Baez, flips to first, and he gets Perez. What a play by Javi Baez behind the second base bag. The Cubs were shifting. Baez, I don't think he even looked at the ball backhanded it behind the bag on the outfield grass and then without even looking at first twisted and fired a strike to Bryant to get Perez I caught you off guard there for a second didn't I Brandon 
You you did catch me off guard. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right, all good. Uh, but yeah, man, and and the excitement you hear there from Zach Zabin, it's it's great because in a moment like that where we've seen Javi Baez make those types of plays so frequently, but I, I love the fact that and you know Zach gets his his inning every game, so he he better bring it, I guess, because he's not doing the full nine anyway. But it, it's great to hear him still bring it in that moment, and both. Are examples where even just from an announcer's perspective, for me as like a you know a broadcast nerd, just where Pat was able to to be on top of the moment in a situation that you you rarely if ever see play out the way that it did in baseball. I think most of us would say we haven't seen a moment like the fielder's choice base running and the the events that ensued after that from Javi Baez and Pat Hughes was on top of it and and just in a way kind of emoting the confusion while also still giving you a sense for what's happening in every moment, who's getting it and where's, where's, you know, where the runners are going and the run being scored and everything. So he, he handled that as well as you could with such an unorthodox situation. And then from Zach, he treated that, that highlight reel infield moment from Javi Baez like you should. Because, you know, we can get to the point where when you see those things from individuals so consistently where, you know what, all right, LeBron doesn't get to win MVPs anymore. Or Michael Jordan, you know what, here's another scoring title. And Javi has just entered this this air that it's I, – I was, I was spending the afternoon trying to think of other baseball players to compare them to. And I, I just – it feels really difficult. I mean, to me, it, the best comp I could come up with was a basketball player. Like I, I feel like he's the baseball AI. Like I feel like there's so much Allen Iverson in the game of Javi Baez where it's it's certainly not high in efficiency at all times. There are more than enough highlights that everybody can get on board with. The athleticism is off the charts. There is so much explosion to the way he plays the game. And while you don't necessarily consider him as as just the best overall player in you know in the entire league because of the inefficiencies that can be there with elements of his game but it's very easy because of the energy and the effort that's there to feel like it's a rallying point not just from a highlight perspective but in game from an effort perspective like because he's willing to extend that play and go back towards home plate and just trot along and along. And then once he sees that the moment is there to try and take advantage of a boneheaded mistake from the defender and sprinting after Wilson Cone Trerez gets across home plate, he slides in, Javi Signal's saving it, he gets up, and he is just rolling towards the bag to get to first, steals first base, and then presence of mind again as the ball goes by him to get up and run the second. I mean – it, it feels like Allen Iverson to me. I don't, I don't know really a, another baseball player that, that's probably of that similar ilk. And AI on the basketball court is the best comp that enters my mind to try and compare what we've seen through this point in Javi Baez's career because it's certainly artistic, it's explosive, it's inefficient frequently enough. But when it comes down to it, man, it, it wins. And it is a part of winning at such a high level, and it's so different, so unique from the way so many other people of his stature and at his position handle things. And it can be frustrating at times, as we heard playing out in the initial month of the season. 
but especially when his game is on, man, he is he is as as rare as it gets. And there there was the the moment there that and it, it deserves, I think, a lot of, of credit to Wilson Contreras for what he did. And it, it did remind me of a moment, and we're gonna have uh, Paul Racy come on with us later this hour. And it reminded me of, of a movie, a, a movie that Paul Racy wasn't in, to my knowledge, but a, a different movie that that you, you had some individuals who were just out there sort of taking advantage of some rubes who were there, and there was a level of kismet between some friends just kind of making plays and getting rolling and making things happen. And for Wilson Contreras to just kind of know and, and feel really what was happening with Javi and pick up on that, I thought was really cool. And it, it reminded me of a real fun moment from a, a major motion picture. And the, the movie itself was actually, since we're going to be talking movies a little bit later, there's a clip from the film Rounders that, that I'll play for you in a moment here. You saw it start Matt Damon and had, uh, you know, had Edward Norton in it too. And it was, it's, this is the moment where they actually go to the casino. And as they get to the casino and they're sitting down and they see all these other great poker players from their same neighborhood. And then at a certain point, as they're trying to figure out, well, is it worth us trying to take each other's money or should we take advantage of these rubes who are here? Here's what that sounded like. These two have no idea what they're about to walk into. Down here to have a good time, they figure, why not give poker a try? After all, how different can it be from the home games they've played their whole lives? All the luck in the world isn't going to change things for these guys. They're simply overmatched. We're not playing together, but then again, we're not playing against each other either. It's like the nature channel. You don't see piranhas eating each other, do you? <laughs> It's been a while since I've sat out and watched that entire movie, just like cover to cover, front to back. But I need to do that again at some point. And I, I don't even have the nerve. Like, I, I don't mind going to a casino. But when I do, I don't go play poker. And a lot of it is because of that moment, like that scene in that movie. Like, I'll play poker with friends. I like it when I've, I've had teammates in the past. We've done weekly poker nights. I go there and let them take my money or I take their money or whatever because we're all at a similar level. But to go and sit down in a casino and try to play some poker, that scene from Rounders spooked me to the point where I still have not yet and probably never will go sit down and play poker in a casino because I assume that there's going to be individuals like that. There's going to be individuals like Matt Damon and like Ed Norton and like Teddy KGB and whoever else was in Rounders just taking folks' money like they didn't know what they were doing. And I, I just have never had the nerve to go and sit in a casino and try to play cards at that level. But that's essentially what Javi and Wilson had on the base pass today. There was just a there was like a, a mind meld that seemed to take place in that moment. Because I mean it's one thing where, you know, there's two outs. So Wilson, he he's gonna run that out anyway, at least to some extent. Like I said, he's striding it out as he's getting ready to round third. But then as the moment evolves. And he sees that Javi is just sort of dragging it out and working his way back towards home plate. Contreras hits another gear. And before you know it, he's sliding across the plate. Now, you know, I mean, I I suppose everybody can kind of assume that no one knew the rule because the defender botched it. But in the end, it's two guys really playing hard. And that that's the fun thing to watch. And, you know, we heard the respect 90 thing so much 
from the the end of the time that Joe Madden was managing the Cubs. And credit to to David Ross and, and the approach he's taken with these guys. And certainly Javi had a moment earlier in this season where he didn't run the bases as hard as he should have, and it you know nearly cost the team there. And so whatever Rossi has been able to do to get that type of effort is outstanding. But then in the end, there's something intangible that seems to be there. And, and that moment's a great example of where it is between Contreras and Baez, where they just know it, it's just a Butch and Sundance kind of moment where they're out there, they're making plays, and these two rubes out here on the infield next to them have no idea what's going on. So that was so cool to see that play out. I'm going to get in my movie bag a little bit here because I mentioned a, a Chicagoan, Paul Racy, who was nominated for an Academy Award. He's going to be joining me in, in really just a few minutes, and I want to spend some time going the, the motion picture route with you if you will indulge me to do so. So we'll take a time out. We'll kind of set up the, the Paul Racy interview on the other side of this break. Now, if you want to call in, you can give me a call, 312-644-6767. We've been focused a lot on the Cubs up to this point in the show, almost exclusively on the Cubs up to this point in the show, aside from me telling you my, my story of the benevolent vagabond who I happened upon in Grant Park uh, just about a week ago. But beyond that, you can give me a call because the phone line is going to be open for a little bit. But for those of you who haven't seen The Sound of Metal, I'm going to give you a sense, give you a little flavor for that movie and kind of set up the interview that we'll be doing later this hour. In the final hour that I'm with you here in the 9 o'clock hour, got Kurt Warner who is going to join me on the show. And, of course, we will talk Justin Fields. We will talk quarterback. We will talk Chicago Bears once we have that opportunity to do so with Kurt. And honestly, I think I'm going to come back. And, uh, and Brandon, I wouldn't mind your opinion later on in the show because I, I just I, I spent the, the time kind of just before the show here was rattling around in my brain like, who else is really worthy of a comp with Javi Baez? Who does that make sense with? I want to come back to that later on in the show also because AI was the best I could come up with in the moment. I couldn't think of a baseball player anywhere that really reminded me of that kind of flair and explosion that he plays with. So open it up to any sport, whether it's Chicago, Chicago athlete, some other athlete from some other sport, some other team, whatever. We're going to come back to that later on. But for now, timeout coming. Going to get uh, get my cinephile hat on here for the remainder of this hour. I'm Anthony Heron on Twitter at Big Ant Heron. This is The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. No, definitely haven't seen anything like that. And, uh, yeah. But you shouldn't be surprised coming from him, just like you said. Um, the things you see him do on a daily basis, it's, just, it's unbelievable, you know, type of player he is. So it's it's a treat uh, to be on the same team as him and to be able to watch him day in and day out and things he does. And that's just another example. But, no, i never seen it. I don't think you'll ever see it again. Kyle Hendricks was victorious today. Out of individuals who have been stepping their game up as of late, he would certainly make the list. After a couple of couple of rocky outings, been nice to see him throwing the ball well again. Yes, a couple of solo home runs today, but overall, Professor's doing his thing here recently as well. About halfway through here, I'm trying to do my thing with you here, Anthony Heron on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score you can find me on Twitter at Big Ant Heron and uh, been talking some, you know, mainly Cubs throughout the show up to this point, but specifically in the previous segment there, Javi Baez, is I've, I've really just been trying to figure out, man, who could we possibly comp Javi Baez with? And as I just tweeted out a moment ago, uh, AI, like I was talking about, is I felt like I had to leave the sport to really come up with something that made sense. But 
Been getting some good texts as well on the text line, and the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at rosenhyundai.com. And there are some texters that I thought had some some pretty good uh, thoughts related to within the baseball sphere and also uh, some of the other sports as well. Like a couple of different texters, texters from the from the six three zero from the eight one five, saying Patrick Kane for the Hawks comparable in creativity. Now. I would agree with that. Uh, I would. Now, I think I think Kaner, though, the way he goes about it in hockey, I wouldn't necessarily define him as unorthodox. And so I do think the the magician element of it, the creativity and the stick handling and the shot making, yeah, I think that's a great comp, Patrick Kane, to Javi Baez. I don't necessarily see Kane as being – you know, inefficient in certain elements of his game. And so I think that's where you, you in a lot of ways get get the extremes, the artistry that's there with Javi Baez that kind of comes in a, in a similar fashion with Alan, Alan Iverson where, yes, there's the, like the, the, the gif that I put out there when I tweeted out uh, the, the question about Baez a moment ago. And I don't know, Brandon, if you're a gif guy or, or a gif guy, how do, you, how do you tend to pronounce that one? I pronounce it like GIF. It's a GIF. Okay, yeah, agree. Good. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, but with the GIF I put out there where AI's out there crossing over MJ. We all remember that moment. He's crossing over Michael Jordan. So you get that type of creativity, artistry, explosion in a compact, built athlete. And I think a lot of those things uh, you know, suit Patrick Kane and are comparable between Kane and Baez, while at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily see Kane as – as an inefficient player. And I think it's fair to call Javi Baez inefficient in some ways too with his approach at the plate and swinging out of the strike zone and, you know, doing some of those things that can at times, you know, throwing, you know, making the attempting plays that, you know, he's off balance or he's trying to barehand something when he shouldn't be trying to barehand it. It's not necessary. So making these unorthodox attempts at times can lead to inefficiencies in the game of Javi Baez. So, there's some of those elements that I wouldn't necessarily comp him with Patrick Kane in that way, but I do, I do appreciate the uh, the comp, the analysis, all those types of things. But I, I, Kane isn't exactly where I would go with it. Now there were some baseball comps that came in, like Jackie Robinson, and I think there's some elements of the athleticism and the artistry that are comparable, and and uh, like from 309 Roberto Clemente thrown out there as well. Now again. Jackie Robinson, I didn't – and, you know, never got to see him play live or anything, but I'm not under the impression Jackie Robinson had some of those inefficiencies to his game. Now, to be fair, like when Jackie Robinson was coming out of Negro League baseball, he wasn't necessarily thought of, the guy, thought of as the guy who was the best Negro League baseball player. There were other players who were thought of as, as more specifically gifted at the baseball position, like Josh Gibson as a hitter. You know, certainly Jackie Robinson wasn't a pitcher, but like Satchel Paige, who – pitched until he's 85 years old or whatever it was and was still mowing people down. But I don't think Jackie was necessarily thought of as an inefficient baseball player in many, if any, ways either. But so that that being said, I appreciate the comps coming in. It, it feels to me like AI because you get the artistry and the explosion and the inefficiency that goes with it, that's, uh, that's kind of – I don't know. I feel like the, the Allen Iverson comp for Javi Baez, I think that's kind of the, the leader in the clubhouse. As I've been, you know, kind of batting this around a little bit here, Brandon, does anything occur to you for a comparable athlete kind of on the, the status of a Javi Baez? You kind of said it earlier a little bit about 
how he's unorthodox. And one thing when I think of unorthodox, especially NFL wise, is Pat Mahomes. Now I'm not saying he's the he's the Pat sure. Mahomes of maybe yeah. like shortstop infield because he does a little. He got a little flash to his game. Things a little unorthodox, but it still works. And that's another one. But the AI comparison is a good one. I'm also thinking of, if you want to stay in the basketball terms, you got uh, Jason Williams, white chocolate, a little flair okay. to his game and right. stuff like that. But probably not as great as like that, that AI one, because that AI one is, is spot on. I'm just trying to get that NFL touch since, you know, you got that little NFL in you. <laughs> right. No doubt, man. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And we're going to have some time to revisit this topic later in the show, so appreciate the text coming in about that. Phone lines, we're going to close uh, in a moment, though, because I, I do want to uh, to sort of set up the interview that I'm going to have with Paul Racy in a moment because Paul's a Chicagoan, and uh, he's a guy who's moved out to L.A. at this point, pursuing his film career, and he was in a movie that I'm not sure how many of you saw it. I know enough people saw it where it had multiple Oscar nominations where Riz Ahmed was the lead actor in a film called The Sound of Metal. And as that took place, uh, as the movie came out, it was filmed a couple of years back, and the the movie itself is just marvelous. And it's from a first-time director, and it, it's about, it's really, it, it kind of teaches the lesson that the deafness isn't a disability, it's a culture. And, you know, it's kind of a, the, uh, it's set in like this small, specific world from the, the lead character, Ruben, and his girlfriend, Lou, and they... You know, they've got like they're they're doing you see them, you know, playing gigs, you see him having smoothies, you see um Ruben, the the main character, working out, and they see them dancing together and they live in a mobile home and they're just kind of traveling around promoting their rock band and doing some sales. And I, I really loved with the film itself that it it used like a, a really sort of jarring and extreme element of sound early in the movie and then Fairly quickly in the movie, and I'm not going to give a bunch of spoilers away uh, just in case uh, some of you listening haven't seen it yet. But, you know, the, the premise of the film is that you have this musician, this drummer in a rock band who goes deaf. So that much is pretty much known if you've ever seen a commercial about Sound of Metal. And so then we end up following Ruben along this path that he takes where, you know, the, the audio that we're experiencing as the audience becomes you know, sort of more and more muted until some moments where it's completely gone. And as Ruben finds out, he's kind of rapidly losing his hearing. He kind of secretly goes to a doctor and he's really, really sort of you know upset just by this turn that his life has taken after being a recovering addict and everything else. So it's a it's a really in-depth look into Ruben, the main character, being thrust into the world of death, deafness, into the culture of what what ends up being the deaf culture and it's it's a great look at a at sort of i suppose a slice of life for lack of a better term than most of us really get to see and the relationship that develops between ruben the riz ahmed character and paul racy's character joe who leads who's the the purveyor the leader of this this farm for people who are experiencing deaf culture perhaps for the first time and are also recovering addicts and you know, it's just a really beautifully shot and acted film, and it's got some, you know, some really deep moments in it, and it was so well acted. And Paul Racy is Chicagoan, an Oscar-nominated actor at this point, so wanted to get an opportunity to talk to him about not only this film, but about his love for the White Sox, who are up one to nothing right now on the Baltimore Orioles. So we'll take a time out, come back, and we'll get to Paul Racy, talk about his film Sound of Metal. We'll do that next here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score.
This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. It's a heartbreaking thing to leave Chicago. You just never forget it. Nothing rivals what I saw and was instilled with in Chicago. Yeah. That's a man who loves this city as much as anyone. So excited for this conversation we're about to have with Paul Racy, one of the stars, an Oscar-nominated star from the film Sound of Metal. And when I saw this movie, I immediately, especially once I figured out Paul was a Chicagoan, had to reach out and just see when I would get the opportunity to have him on the show. And the opportunity is finally here. As things have calmed down enough in his world after the Academy Awards and the other awards circuit, we're able to get Paul Racy from The Sound of Metal on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Paul, how are you this evening? Dude, so good, Anthony. Man, what an intro that was. But, just, <laughs> but it's true. Hey, man. Hey, the, you, get, the way, you come from Chicago, you just don't forget it. Man, the way that that movie just impacted myself and my wife, and as, as I'm sure you've been experiencing in recent months, so many people who saw the the depiction that, that you and the cast you were a part of were able to take into that world, the, the culture of deafness, as, as I've been just kind of experiencing it and reading about the way that it's even fitting to sort of describe what that is. For you, it seems like in a lot of ways you were maybe built for the, the role that you ended up playing there. Can you give our listeners just a, a bit of a, an understanding of your upbringing and, and how it impacted the way you could portray your role? Oh, sure. Well, uh... You know, I grew up in Chicago in the 50s and the 60s. Uh, I used to deliver the Chicago Tribune. The Chicago Sun-Times had a paper route. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I grew up with deaf parents, grew up in deaf culture. Um, and, you know, uh, it's just a different way of being, especially in those days when there was no uh, closed captioning for television. There were no devices people could use texting to each other. I was it. I was the main conduit. To the world around us. So I was there uh, interpreting for my dad and my mom the mortgage uh, with the banks, with the uh, the light company, the uh, don't don't turn the heat off. We're going to pay it next week. All that stuff. And so, and then I fell into the uh, world of interpreting as a profession. So my whole life, when I tell people like what it's been like for me, uh, so many times they go, "Wow, you should write a." You should write a movie about your life, you know. Uh, it sounds so interesting. And so I, I was. I was writing a movie for about 20 years with different partners, trying to trying to write a script that, of course, would star me and would show what, what it's like. And then, uh, and none of them taking off, of course. And this guy, Darius Martyr, is writing this script for 13, 14 years while I'm writing my script. So when I read his thing, I thought, oh, my God, this guy just wrote a movie. That was built for me. I mean, I've I've had two tours in Vietnam. I've had, when I got back from Vietnam, I had drug addiction problems. I've run ministries for drug addicts. I've uh, been to so many 12-step programs as an interpreter, I can't even count them. So everything this guy Joe in the movie is about seemed to be matched up with what uh, I've gone through. So this guy... I, you know, you put something out there in the ethers, so to speak. Uh, I guess he caught the vibe, and he was writing this role that just about matched everything that uh, I've been doing uh, or have done. 
except that I, I had deaf parents. I don't suffer from deafness myself, but I do have uh, tinnitus from all the rock and roll that I've listened to. And being on an aircraft carrier in uh, Vietnam, the uh, I was a corpsman on the flight deck. So I do have the tinnitus in my ears. But um, it seemed everything that, that Joe's been through, I, I, I've done this, I've seen this, I've met a lot of Joes in my life. Hmm. So it was just a, a happy coincidence that he happened to, I happen to read the script, and the rest is history, as they say. And you, you've done so much in your career over the decades between stage acting and on the, the small screen and the big screen. And so for you, I'm, I'm curious, your process, how, how different is it when you're performing for the stage versus when you're performing on screen? Well, yeah, you know, it, it's been said that if you if you do stage work, you can make that transition to a screen easier than if you're a movie star and then you try to do a 99-seat house. That that transition doesn't work quite as well. But a lot of theaters I worked in in Chicago, like the immediate theater, that was the theater company I had. We were trying to be the next Steppenwolf. Um, things like that. If you're doing a 99-seat house, it's very intimate work. So to make that transition into a film is not that difficult. I mean, you've got, you got to worry about the, the film crew in front of you but I was so used to doing intimate work like that anyway that and um, I've been doing this for a long time, got, you know, 35, 40 years of acting and doing rock and roll. Um, it kind of becomes second nature. So for me, it wasn't that difficult uh, to make that transition into the film world. Uh, I was surprised at how comfortable I was, but I really, really enjoyed it. And so uh, that's, you know, they say you got to look at it. As old as I am, they say, if you want to be a master at something, I always tell kids, you got to do 10,000 hours out there, you know, no matter what you do. If you want to be a carpenter, you want to be a master electrician, 10,000 hours is about what you need. And everybody looks at you and goes, wow, this guy knows what he's doing. So my 10,000 hours came a long time ago because I've been doing this for so long. But uh, um, God, I, look, Anthony, I was just grateful that I got a shot Uh here I've been doing one-liners in movies and one day on a TV show, and here this guy gives me a chance to do a, a major supporting role. So when that happened, my 10,000 hours were under my belt, and I was ready. It was like they threw one right down the plate, and I just you know, fucking felt like I was going to hit it out of the park every time I sat down. So uh, that, was, that was a good thing for me. I, just, I was so ready. God, you know, when you're ready for something, yeah. whether it be, uh, you know, uh, if you're in love with somebody or you find that you got a chance, a shot at something, dude, I was ready. And it definitely showed in, in your portrayal of Joe. And for you, like you, you just referenced that you, you grew up in deaf culture with, with deaf parents and while oh, yeah. being able to hear yourself. And I, I really was struck by the way the film sort of tried to take viewers into that world and have just even from a from an auditory perspective experience what right. Ruben was experiencing. Like it's really loud at first and then this muted sound and then moments of silence while still allowing moments of, of us to sort of hear the dialogue and the gnat sounds and everything too. Mm -hmm. How did you, in the variety of ways you've experienced that world, how did you like the way that that was sort of you know, portrayed in the movie? Oh, I thought it was genius. Uh, I had no idea. I had no idea that they were working. They they worked longer on the sound design than it took to shoot the whole movie. If you can oh. believe that, they took months and months and months. And so, yeah, uh, 
I love the way he portrayed that. And, you know, and obviously, you know, the Academy felt that uh, they gave it an, an Academy Award for sound design, which it well deserves. Yeah, you, you're you supposed to feel like you're in the protagonist, uh, Reuben's shoes, and you certainly do get that feeling. So I thought they did a great job. Uh, Darius Martin, the, the director, he just, like I say, he vetted it. He checked out deaf people from the whole country here, from east to west, and asked questions. Had a, a big learning curve that he had to overcome. Talked to a lot of deaf people. Talked to a lot of people that have lost their hearing. So well, from my my perspective, especially, you know, the uh, the dinner scene where we're around the table, how dynamic that is because you yeah. you hear the muted sounds, and then you hear how, how noisy deaf people are. <laughs> That's hilarious because... You know, I, I do all the cooking in our house. I'm banging around in the kitchen, slamming cabinet doors and stuff. And my wife goes, what's the matter? Are you mad at somebody? I go, oh, I'm sorry. That's just the way I was brought up. You know, <laughs> you want the salt and pepper, you bang on the table, you know. So I thought he did a great job with that. You certainly do get the feeling of what Ruben's going through. Paul Racy, the Academy Award-nominated actor from the film Sound of Metal. You should definitely check it out on Amazon Prime because it is worth your time and worth your really the study for viewers for, for what they do in taking us into that world of deaf culture. Mm. And that the character that you play, Joe, and they're, like you're referencing, there's so many similarities to some of your experiences. And there, there yeah. was a moment that really stuck out to me later in the film where it was kind of the, and actually one particular moment wasn't that late in the film, but it was kind of the one time I felt like Joe got upset because it seemed like maybe Ruben was trying to cheat the process. And it was where it was, and I, I don't want to, you know, spoiler alerts here or anything, but the, the scene right. where Ruben's like working on the roof of, of the farm and Joe got yeah. upset at him. And I, I was curious what was important to Joe about that moment where he really didn't want Ruben doing what he was doing, and he felt like that wasn't, you know, what he was there for. Yeah, that was, uh, I love that scene. Um, he, you know, sponsors, people that are in these 12-step programs, they want you to follow a certain way of being. And I think at that point, um, I, I want him to just get into the deaf culture, get into the language, and talk with deaf people. And here he is fixing my roof, and I didn't ask him to do that. What then? What's cut out of that scene, though, is I, I tell him uh, there's so much that's edited out, you know, when you're making a movie. But I tell him, look, if I, want, if I wanted you to do it, I would have asked you to do that. This is my place, and I take care of that stuff. I want you to do your homework because you're obviously not doing it enough. And that's at the point where he tells him to go in the room and start writing his thoughts down and be still. So at that point, Joe Rather than see the guy climb up on a ladder and fix the eaves of my roof, I would much have preferred to see him sitting there on a, on a lawn chair and just being quiet, sitting with the breeze, and living in the stillness. And that's, of course, what his whole point is. So uh, that, that was the whole thing about that. Stop doing stuff. Stop. And, you know, that's a lesson for me also. Anthony, here I am. I'm trying to write a script for myself and doing, 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 because I got to I got to do something. I got to I got to kick my uh, my career. I got to kick it in the butt and get it going rather than Joe's advice would be be still, be quiet, just sit in the stillness. And that is the best advice I think that I've ever gotten, because it's not in the stillness where I get my inspirations or my my creative thoughts. It's after I've sat there for about five or ten minutes, and then 
after I'm walking around, after my meditation, then the idea comes to me. After I've settled my, you know, like uh, like a glass of orange juice, if you let it sit there and then all the sediment goes to the bottom of the glass and the rest, the stuff on top is all clear, that's the way I look at it. When my mind gets clear of all the blah, 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 blah all the junk going on in my head, all the back and forth about what I can do, what I can do, that's what I think Joe is trying to tell him. Sit down, shut up, be quiet, and maybe you'll get some clarity about what you need to do about this problem you've got. And that's really where, where it's at, Anthony, uh, getting clarity and being still so that you can then get up and pursue what you think you've got to do. And there were so many special moments in that movie between Joe and Ruben, between you, Paul Racy, and, and Riz Ahmed, just some really, really deep and, and emotional scenes that didn't necessarily require yeah. tears, you know, very many times. But man, you guys were good in that. Oh, uh, but, but before I let you run, man, I, I do want to uh, I want to make sure I'm clear because you, you're a fairly uh, sizable White Sox fan, if I'm not mistaken. And the team's had no, one of the are. best records in baseball throughout the season here. but. A lot of injuries, man. Do you get to still kind of take in a lot of the White Sox games I left? Oh, are you kidding me? I, I, on the way back from this gig I had, the White Sox are on right now. They're playing the Orioles, and uh, uh, Mercedes just hit a home run, a line shot to left field. Are you kidding me? I've, I've been a White Sox fan since Louis. And that, that line, did you catch the line at the beginning when they first see Joe and he goes, uh, he named his dog after Louis Aparicio? Yeah, right. Well, I get I – get, uh, uh, emails and letters from people in Venezuela. They go, thank you so much for mentioning Louis Aparicio. He's 85 years old. He's an icon in Venezuela. Thank you for mentioning him. And so I just, he's my boyhood. I wanted to be little Louis or Nellie Fox or Jimmy Landis. I wanted to be those guys when I was a kid. So yeah. Am I a white sex fan? Listen, I, back when Jack Brickhouse was calling it, you know, jungle Jim Rivera was playing right field. Number seven, (laughs) when they won the pennant 59, that when you when, when when your team wins the pennant and you're a kid, you don't forget that. You just don't forget it. So I've always been, always will be. And yes, all the injuries. Can you believe it? Uh. And, and Tony, Tony Larue. Listen, and a lot of my friends go, look, Tony Larue is 76, and Paul Racy 73. I guess 70 is the new new new. <laughs> <laughs> doing your best work at this yeah. age, man. I love it. I love well, I it. I love your performance. Take, take all over. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Paul, I really appreciate you spending time with me this evening. I was so looking forward to this discussion. I could do it all night. I know you have to move on, and we got to get to the top of the hour, man. But thank you so much for joining me. Anthony, I appreciate you staying on me to do this because, uh, you know, I, I'm serious. I really want to get together. I love Chicago. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is Paul Racy. He is on Twitter at Paul underscore Racy, the Academy nominated actor in a supporting role from the film The Sound of Metal. Make sure you check it out on Amazon Prime if you haven't seen it yet. Frankly, if you've already seen it, go watch it again because I've already watched it multiple times here just over the last couple of months. I promise you, Kurt Warner, though. So after this break, the Hall of Famer will join me. We'll start talking some bears. Bears heavy in the final hour. Guess what? Going to get his thoughts on Justin Fields and maybe some Aaron Rodgers, too. We'll do that next year on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.